Turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Book of Colossians. And uh, we have, we're in chapter 4 and verses 7 to 9 this morning. And uh, after that, we'll have one more final message in uh, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. So I'm going to read. Uh, verses 2 to 9 for the sake of context, and then we will look at verses 7 to 9 in this morning's exposition. So, Colossians 4, 2 to 9. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your guidance over the past several months as we've looked at this letter and all the principles and instructions, commands that are found in it. We've been blessed by it. We've grown by it. Lord, as we look towards the end of this, um, please help us to continue to draw out principles and instructions for our lives. Please be with us this morning. I pray that as I preach your word, that my words would be your words, and that your words would go forth in power and precision to impact the hearts and minds of your people for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen you have been a, a Christian and have been well integrated into the life of the church for some time, you know that there's something which happens about once a month, something which is usually interesting and encouraging, and something which often refreshes our faith and can even compel us to press on to greater degrees of faithfulness and service in the church. And this event may not seem like much of an event at all, however, Sometimes it is, but usually it's just news. Good news concerning what God is doing in and through his people in other parts of the world. And this good news comes by way of routine missionary letters, ministry reports, um, which we currently receive by email. We used to receive them by snail mail, but they're currently by email. And um, because they're, they're by email, we... Um, they usually involve pictures and sometimes videos of um, the missionaries and their ministries and explain what God has been doing in and through them. And we've recently received uh, pictures and videos from our missionaries in Italy. It's been really encouraging concerning the exciting things that God has been doing there and giving them a church, expanding their church. Um, However, what's even better is when the missionaries themselves return from the field and they come here in person, they provide a ministry report to us and even are able to encourage us through preaching and teaching. And uh, as we consider missions and ministry and we look at this letter in the New Testament, we, we can see that the, the purpose and principles of ministry and missions, it, it hasn't changed since the first century. And it, it'll never change because those principles, those um, purposes are grounded in Scripture. However, what does change is technology and sometimes culture a little bit. And so um, there's a difference because uh, in our age versus the first century, because in Paul's day, news and people traveled much slower and more dangerously. And we can see that throughout the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts and the epistles. And even as we read uh, secular history and um, 
when we read the New Testament, uh, we read not only about Paul's missionary journeys, but of his exploits, his letters, and his companions, which he works with, uh, those disciples that he um, builds up and sends to other places. And the principles and purpose for missions and Christian ministry is, for most believers, obvious. It's grounded in the Great Commission, and it's uh, clearly laid out in other texts in the New Testament. However, what is not so obvious to some believers is that there is a privilege and a responsibility of sending and going, of giving and receiving support, of partnering with um, other missionaries, with ministers, and even taking an active role in carrying out the Great Commission ourselves, whether that be through the giving of money, other resources, our own time and labor, or even encouragement. We're called to take part in the Great Commission at some level, even if it's only prayer. We all um, go through different seasons of life, and we have different abilities and um, different means, but whatever our season of life is or our abilities, we're to take part in the Great Commission, even if that's only prayer. Prayer is very important. Um, Apostle John, he writes in his uh, third letter, Third John, he writes this um, concerning missions and missionaries. Third John in verse 2, he says this to Gaius. He says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. We are to support missions, missionaries. We are to support missions. We are to support ministry as believers. We are to take part in the Great Commission on some level or all levels. Whatever we can do, we are to do for the glory of God. And, you know, as I just read you know, part of John's letter to Gaius, that short letter that's not even a chapter, and he um, comments on supporting missionaries in the first century. And then we read here in these few verses in chapter 4 of Colossians, and we read this passage in uh, Colossians 4, 7, and 9, and we may be tempted to just gloss over it. As we often do when we get towards the end of a New Testament epistle and we see a list of names and greetings, we're um, tempted to just gloss over it. You know, as we, we, we've gotten the meat of the you know, letter of the epistle, we, we've gotten the, the bulk of it, and then we get towards the end and there's all these list of names or these greetings and we just kind of just gloss over it. But 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And these few verses are profitable for us in that they reveal two men who, though they may not technically be seen as missionaries, these are two men who were sent on a mission by an apostle to deliver letters from him, news about him and his companions, and to minister to these churches. And in reading these few verses, we're also reminded that travel, that news and ministry in the first century was hard and dangerous. At Tychicus and Onesimus, they're, they're, they're coming from Rome, where Paul is imprisoned, to... Uh, Colossae, which is um, in modern-day Turkey, um, a bit inland from the coast. And so their journey could have taken um, a month or more. Um, definitely much of their journey was on foot. They, they may have been fortunate enough to hop on a, a horse cart at some point. Um, 
Certainly, they probably took a ship at some point, but whatever the case may, may have been, their journey was hard. It was dangerous. Um, it took a while. It, it required resources, yet they had to go. And they brought with them news, news of Paul, encouragement to the Colossians, letters. In, in this passage, in these few verses, we see these two individuals and two purposes for which they were sent as messengers to the church at Colossae. Or, as I was looking at it a little bit more in depth, we could see here not just the two individuals and two purposes, but four reasons why these messengers were sent to the church at Colossae. Because we see these, these two explicit purposes for why Paul sent them. But then as Paul describes each one of these individuals, we also see two more implicit reasons why he sent them, as he alludes to their character. So we really see four reasons why Tychicus and Onesimus were sent to the church at Colossae. And so we're going to look at this passage in um, four points, four reasons why these men were sent to the church at Colossae. And reason number one, the character of Tychicus. Verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And, and just in that, that short verse, there's three indicators of Tychicus's character here. Of, of why Paul is sending this man, Tychicus, which he only shows up in, in a handful of other places in the New Testament. And um, as we read the New Testament, and we, we see, you know, the authors, we see Paul and Peter, and we see the big names. Sometimes we see in the greetings uh, the lesser-known names. But whatever the case may be, there were believers, and, and there were some believers for sure that were faithful, that did not find their name in the New Testament. And so we look at Tychicus. We see him referenced here. We see his character referenced. And we see that Paul um, gives three indicators. First, he is a beloved brother. He's a beloved brother. Um, he's, he's part of the family of God. And, and, and sometimes, you know, we use those terms, brother and sister. And those are good terms. Those are, are terms of endearment. Sometimes we can use them so much that they lose their meaning, they lose their weight. We diminish the, the, the meaning behind them. I remember when I was, uh, first became a believer in my late 20s, and I would hear the term brother and sister, and I kind of understood what people in church meant by that. But it didn't really carry the same, the same weight as it, as it was intended to because... Um, throughout my life, I've been in different contexts, such as the military or um, different, uh, I guess, subcultures. And, uh, you know, as, you know, I, I went, had different activities and hobbies throughout my life where the term brother was used. And so I've heard that term brother used in different contexts amongst friends. And so when I came into the church, I, I didn't at first see the, the weight behind it. But it has significant weight because we are called from different backgrounds, from different families, from different circumstances, from different um, areas of our nation, our state, sometimes the world, different ethnicities, different abilities, and we're called into one family. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul calls Tychicus a beloved brother. And he's... He's beloved, um, as you know, and, and that's another term that we often use as well. We see the Apostle John use that term, beloved, as he speaks to the church. And we can um, hear that spoken by, um, by people in the church. And sometimes um, we can overuse that term as well. And we diminish it, its meaning. But there is significance to it. That we are brothers and sisters, and, and we are to be beloved. We are to love one another. And, and this, as Paul um, speaks about Tychicus as a beloved brother, he, he's indicating that he's, he's not only part of the family of God, but the church loves him. The church not only accept, accepts him, but they delight in him. 
He's, he's one of, as I've heard from, um, you know, in, in uh, listening to sermons and, and reading books and, and heard of terms of, of people saying, oh, he's a lovely brother. She's a lovely sister. Just someone that just everybody delights in, that lights up the room. This is what, what Tychicus is. This is a type of person he is. He's, he's a brother and he's beloved. I like what, what Matthew Henry writes in his commentary on this passage. He says this, The churches cannot but be concerned for good ministers and desirous to know their state. He gives him this character, talking about Paul and Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister. Paul, though a great apostle, owns a faithful minister for a brother and a beloved brother. Faithfulness in anyone is truly lovely and renders him worthy of our affection and esteem. He's worthy. Tychicus is a, a worthy man. He's a beloved brother. And then second, he's a faithful servant. A faithful servant. And some of your, probably most of English translations would say faithful minister. Faithful minister. But there's a couple translations that, that would say faithful servant. The word here is, is uh, diakonos, from which we get the term deacon. And uh, deacon in the Bible, um, it can be translated servant or deacon according to context. And, and there's a lot of confusion in the church, um, the wider church, about what a deacon really is. And, and um, quite honestly, the, I think the Holy Spirit does leave some flexibility for each church to de- decide how to um, use the office of deacon. But nonetheless... Um, the term diakonos does mean servant and it does mean deacon. And so in the church, there is um, what I'd like to call the big D and the small D. There's a sense where we're all called to be servants. We're all called to be deacons. But then there is the office of deacon that is clearly, as laid out in 1 Timothy 3, reserved for men only, um, is an office that um, also has a, a, a spiritual element to it, um, as uh, we even see here, Tychicus, um, faithful minister. And you could rightly um, almost translate it like that. But I, I believe, uh, you know, he is a deacon in the church. And deacons are, in a sense, somewhat of a minister. They minister to the church, usually in those practical means, as Tychicus is doing here, being a courier, a messenger. But he's also going to minister to the church and encouraging them and telling news. He's a trustworthy servant. He's someone that Paul and the apostles can, can rely upon. And, and there's this concept of you know, being trustworthy. That it, Being trustworthy, um, there's a sense that it's not just a blanket term. Um, we trust people for certain things, like... Uh, you know, you probably, you know, even if you think I am a trustworthy person, you should probably shouldn't trust me to play piano because that's not in my repertoire. <laughs> um, and there's certain uh, things that you trust people with according to their abilities, according to their skill, according to their talents, their influence, their knowledge, their character. And so there's certain, certain things we can trust people for Um, And certain things we can't, and yet they can still be trustworthy. And there's other people that you can't really trust them for anything. They're they're not dependable. They're they're flighty. They're just, you don't know if they're going to be on time or not. Or, you know, maybe they're dependable in the fact that they're always late. And so you know um, they're always going to be late. But um, Tychicus, he was a trustworthy servant. He was someone that Paul could lean upon, and I believe he was a deacon. He was going, he was a deacon in the church, going to minister to uh, the Colossians and bringing these letters. He was, he was delivering the letters of the, this book right here to the church at Colossae. He was, he was also delivering on that same journey, he was going to deliver the letter to Ephesus, to Ephesians, and uh, the letter of Philemon, which uh, would go to 
the uh, Philemon was a man in the church at Colossae. He was delivering these three letters. And and there's the the qualities of Tychicus are are shown here in these few phrases, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. But there's also these qualities that are inherent in a good deacon, a good servant, that he's capable, he's willing, he's spiritual, um, he's wise and discerning about circumstances, about things in the church, about needs. Even as we first see uh, the office of deacon show up in Acts chapter 6, and um, the apostles, uh, the leaders say, let's pick seven men full of the spirit and wisdom. These are the qualities. And this is what Tychicus is. He's a faithful servant. He's a faithful minister, a faithful deacon. But he's also a fellow slave. Fellow slave. And as we read in most of our translations, would say fellow servant or fellow bondservant. And that term there is doulos, slave. That's, that's how it should be translated. He's a fellow slave. And uh, a slave in the Lord. That, that, that phrase there it qualifies what type of slave he is. He is in the Lord's servant, uh, service, in the Lord's kingdom. He is a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is committed to God. He's committed to the church. And he's committed to the Apostle Paul. He understands and embraces the mission of the church and and his position in it. He's not haughty. He's not uh, prideful. He understands his place and his role. He's a fellow slave. He's obedient. He's submissive. And he's willing. Willing and enthusiastic to carry out this mission, which was hard and dangerous. One commentator, he writes this concerning Tychicus. He says, the name means fortuitous or fortunate. He was one of the Gentile converts Paul took to Jerusalem as a representative of the Gentile churches in Acts 20, verse 4. He was a reliable companion of Paul and a capable leader. Since he was considered as a replacement for Titus and Timothy on separate occasions, which are in 2 Timothy 4.12 and Titus 3.12. He had the responsibility to deliver Paul's letters to the Colossians, the Ephesians, and Philemon. So the first reason why Paul sends these men to the church at Colossae is the character of Tychicus. And and second, the character of Onesimus, the second person he sends. He, in verse 9, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And we can see, um, just as Paul uh, alludes to the character of Tychicus in those few uh, phrases that he is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant, he also says uh, similar things, almost exactly the same things about Onesimus. He is also a beloved brother. And notice how Paul doesn't merely state that he is like he does with Tychicus, but he says, our faithful and beloved brother. Our faithful and beloved brother. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Most of it is is found in the letter to Philemon, which is going to the same church. And so this character, Onesimus, there's a bit of a background. And uh, John MacArthur in his Bible commentary on Philemon, he writes this, about Onesimus and his background, mostly from the letter to Philemon. He says this, Onesimus was not a believer at the time he stole some money from Philemon and ran away. Like countless thousands of other runaway slaves, Onesimus fled to Rome, seeking to lose himself in the imperial capital's teeming and nondescript slave population. Through circumstances not recorded in Scripture, Onesimus met Paul in Rome and became a Christian. The apostle quickly grew to love the runaway slave and longed to keep Onesimus in Rome where he was providing valuable service to Paul in his imprisonment. But by stealing and running away from Philemon, Onesimus had both broken Roman law and defrauded his master. Paul knew those issues had to be dealt with and decided to send Onesimus back to Colossae 
It was too hazardous for him to make the trip alone because of the danger of slave catchers. So Paul sent him back with Tychicus, who was returning to Colossae with the epistle to the Colossians. Along with Onesimus, Paul sent Philemon this beautiful personal letter urging him to forgive Onesimus and welcome him back to service as a brother in Christ. And so he says, he calls him our faithful and beloved brother. Not, not just talking our in the sense of Paul and his companions, how they view him as a faithful and beloved brother, but extending that to the, the wider church context of um, the Colossians as well. Like he, he belongs to all of us. He is our faithful and beloved brother, so welcome him. And he's also a faithful servant, unlike what he used to be, because he ran away. And yes, it's, it's true that, um, as in, in many instances, the, the Bible doesn't give us the full picture. It gives us snapshots. There's a lot of white space that we don't know all the circumstances and situations with Onesimus and Philemon, or even with the Colossian church. But Paul says he's our faithful and beloved brother. And then he says, he is one of you. He's one of you. The Onesimus that ran away from Philemon, he's one of you. He, he, he got converted, he got saved, he, he met Christ, he, he, he's brand new. He's no longer the person he used to be, but he is now truly one of you. He truly belongs to you. He's within the family of God. He is a beloved brother, and now he's faithful. You can only imagine, um, you know, for a runaway slave who didn't own anything, you know, to run away from his master, there was some planning that had to take place. He didn't, probably didn't just up and leave one moment. He was probably thinking and plotting about it. And he, and he needed some resources to get all the way to Rome. Um, so certainly he stole some things from his master who was a believer. We don't know the, the nature of their relationship, but we know that he ran away and that he stole. And then he met Paul somewhere. He got saved. He started to serve Paul in the Roman church. And now Paul sends him back, not only um, to reconcile with his master, but I think to um, aid the church, to help the church in Colossae. Paul probably spent some time discipling Onesimus and, and sends him back not just to reconcile with his master, but to um, edify the church, to improve the church as someone that was discipled by an apostle. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, he writes this concerning Onesimus. He says, Observe, though he was a poor servant and had been a bad man, Yet being now a convert, Paul calls him a faithful and beloved brother. The meanest circumstance of life and greatest wickedness of former life make no difference in the spiritual relation among sincere Christians. They partake of the same privileges and are entitled to the same regards. The righteousness of God by faith of Jesus Christ is unto all and upon all those that believe. For there is no difference, and there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Onesimus became one of them. He was one of them, probably ethnically, probably you know, in his background, he was one of them, but now he's truly one of them. And being discipled by the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul calls him our faithful and beloved brother, almost on par with Tychicus. There's a sense that he's, he's um, sending him, not just to reconcile, but to bolster this church. And, and it's quite possible it, it, to, um, that Onesimus became a leader in the church at Colossae and probably ended up teaching his former master the ways of Christ and how to be faithful. But Paul sends these two characters these two individuals, faithful servants. And, you know, as, even as Jesus first sends out his disciples to proclaim 
the, the gospel. He sends them out two by two. That, that concept of having a partner, because uh, two are better than one. As Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10 says, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So it is quite possible that not only were Tychicus and Onesimus um, both faithful servants, both willing, capable, able to go on this dangerous mission, this important mission, to carry these important letters, which we now have. Had they not gone, we would not have the letter to the Colossians. We would not have the letter to the Ephesians. We would not have the letter to Philemon. If they had failed in their mission, we would not have these letters. But they went, and they were successful, and God went with them, and they held each other up, and they were probably good friends as well. So we see the character of both Tychicus and Onesimus as the first two reasons why these men are sent, because of their character. And now the third reason why Paul had sent these two men to Colossae is to provide a report concerning Paul. He says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. And in verse 8, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. He sends them to provide a report concerning Paul. And in providing that report concerning Paul, all his activities, the apostles, everything that's happening through Paul in Rome, in the Roman church, as they go to report on Paul in the Roman church, they will encourage the hearts of the Colossians, this uh, fledgling church that was planted by Epaphras that is um, maybe struggling because of false teaching that is assaulting the church, things that we have gone over in the past several months, things about Christ, about sanctification, about how we are to live and act in the home, in the church, in the workplace. Tychicus and Onesimus go to provide this report concerning Paul and to deliver these letters. It's the same reason Paul gives in um, Ephesians. Ephesians, as we've been going, going through this letter, we have often looked back at the letter to the Ephesians because they're, they're sent by the same two people. They're sent by Tychicus and Onesimus um, and for many of the same reasons. Paul writes in, in, at the end of Ephesians, he, in 6.21 and 24, he says, to the Ephesians, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. It's the same purpose, same reason, almost the same passage as we have here in Colossians 4 and 7 and 9 to give them a report about Paul, to encourage their hearts, to um, edify them, to lift them up, to report um, all about um, Paul's activities, to report about all of his activities, his imprisonment and his treatment, his support and his fellowship, his gospel proclamation and writing, everything that he's been doing in Rome for the past couple years. And I'd like you to turn with me, just as by way of reminder of Paul's imprisonment, because these are called the prison epistles. So turn with me to Acts chapter 28. And we call these um, epistles uh, Colossians, uh, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon. We call them the prison epistles because Paul writes them um, during his first imprisonment in Rome. So just by way of context, I, I want um, us to read through this short passage. Acts 28 and verse 16 to the end of Acts. And Paul, you know, um, he goes on his journey in this, this dangerous journey from Caesarea where he is... He is um, 
imprisoned there for a while on the coast of Israel, Caesarea. And uh, he has um, questioned. He gives his, um, his defense, his appeal. He appeals to Caesar and then he is sent to Caesar. And he, and he finally arrives in Rome, and in verse 16 of Acts 28 says this, And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And after, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown, grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear. And with their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is what he was doing for two years. He started with the Jews, called them, and uh, most of them did not believe. And then anyone who would listen, Roman soldiers, Roman servants, administrators, anybody who would come into his lodging, his house arrest, the, the um, church at Rome, believers, he would strengthen them, he would continue to teach and disciple. Whatever he was able to do, he did. And he lived there, as it says in verse 30, at his own expense. And so Tychicus and Onesimus, they go to the church at Colossae, the church at Ephesus, and, and they um, report concerning Paul about what has taken place, all that has taken place, his, his ministry, his well-being. And, and notice how he has... Um, he says this in verse 8 of um, Colossians 4. He says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are doing. How we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So it's not just Paul, but everybody that's around him, his disciples, his companions, the people he sends. Uh, Luke, who wrote, the, who wrote Acts and the Gospel of Luke. Tells them about Luke. He tells them about the Roman church. He tells them about everything that's not written here in the letter to the Colossians or the letter to the Ephesians. He tells them it all so that he may encourage them. He tells uh, the Colossians about Paul's gospel proclamation and his writing. Turn with me uh, to Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1, we see this. Paul, Paul also talks a little bit about his imprisonment. In Philippians chapter 1, in verses 12 and down, um, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He's preaching the gospel to the whole imperial guard, all the Roman um, soldiers. 
Whether they believe or not, they know why he's there. They know the gospel, whether they believe it or not. And he goes on and he says, And most of the brothers, those speaking of those in Rome, have, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He goes on and says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am li- live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is be- far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents." This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. He says this to, in his letter to uh, the Philippians, to the church at Philippi, while he's in prison, um, similar uh, to his letters to the church at Colossae and the, letters to, the letter to the church at Ephesus. Speaking of his imprisonment, about his circumstances, about his support, his fellowship, um, his imprisonment, his treatment, his gospel proclamation and his writing, what he's doing, how he's spending his time, his need for support. In his letter to the Philippians, he speaks, it's a thank you letter for their support, that, that they supported him, um, supported him well, because he was living there at his own expense. And so this is, this is part of the report which Tychicus and Onesimus give to the church at Colossae. Not just what is written in the letter, which they read in front of the whole church, but all the activities of Paul's in, imprisonment. He gives them a report about all of his activities, a report about how they are doing, as he says, that you may know how we are, and which shows it wasn't just Paul there. He had companions and the church in Rome. He had people coming and going. He was strengthening the church through discipleship, through writing letters. They also gave a report about everything that has happened. Listen to what John Calvin wrote in his commentary concerning Paul's activities. He comments on this and he writes this. In this, the singular zeal, no less than prudence, of the holy apostle shines forth. For it is no small matter that while he is held prisoner and is in the most imminent danger on account of the gospel, he nevertheless does not cease to employ himself in advancing the gospel and takes care of all the churches. Thus the body indeed is under confinement, but the mind, anxious to employ itself in everything good, roams far and wide. His prudence shows itself in his sending a fit and prudent person to confirm them as far as was necessary, and withstand the craftiness of the false apostles, and farther in his retaining Epaphras beside himself, until they should come to learn what and how great an agreement there was in doctrine among all teachers, and might hear from Tychicus the same thing that they had previously learned from Epaphras. Let us carefully meditate on these examples, that they may stir us up to all limitation of the like pursuit. He's saying Paul, Paul was not just, he did not just give up. He was not just sitting on the sidelines. He was not just taking it easy. He was evangelizing Roman guards and Roman administrators and servants. He was teaching the church. He was writing letters and sending them out. He was um, trying to do all that he could. 
And because of that, we have these letters to Colossae, to Ephesus, to Philemon, to Philippi. These letters which instruct us and also show us in their similarities that um, Paul was teaching sound doctrine and shows the churches that they were um, hearing the same things. They are to believe the same things. They are to apply the same things. So we see that Paul sends Tychicus and Onesimus because of their character and because to re- provide a report concerning Paul. And then finally, fourth and finally, Paul sends Tychicus and Onesimus to encourage the church at Colossae. Verse 8 of Colossians chapter 4, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And encourage them um, concerning three things. Concerning God's work in and through Paul, as he speaks about all that Paul is doing, all that he has done, all his circumstances. And then concerning God's work in and through other churches. As Paul is still discipling, he's still um, building people up, he's still sending people. Epaphras came to him, reported to him about Colossae. And then he sends Tychicus and Onesimus back to Colossae. Um, People are coming and going. So he encourages the church concerning God's work in and through other churches. And then concerning God's work in and through them. In and through the church at Colossae. To encourage what they're doing. That that they would excel still more. And so concerning God's work in and through Paul. That they would be encouraged by his faithfulness. That he's not... Um, sitting on the sidelines. He's not taking it easy. He's not taking a breather. He's doing all that he can while he is where he is at. He's making the most out of his opportunities, the most out of his situation. Also that they would be encouraged by his attitude. That he tells the the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4 whether I I, I know how to... to, um, be abased, and I know how to abound in all things. I, I, I um, he, he strengthened me. God strengthens me to do all things. He's able to do all things through Him who strengthens me. Rather, uh, Philippians four thirteen. He has a good attitude. He rejoices always. He, he's trusting in God, and so they should have the same attitude. Also, that they would be encouraged by His fruitfulness. That he is, he is being fruitful. He, he's, the gospel is going out through him even though he's imprisoned. And so, as, as I, I said you know, earlier in the introduction, we are encouraged by missionary letters, by ministry reports. It's an important part of ministry to report on what God is doing to encourage other churches. Um, I remember when I was uh, serving as an army chaplain in the National Guard and we have... Um, some senior chaplains, and they would always um, kind of compel us, uh, encourage us, um, urge us to tell our story of the things that we were doing. And they'd always say, hey, listen, I know you guys are doing great things out there, but we don't know about it. So you need to be better. You need to get better at reporting this so that people know that you're doing good stuff, that you're um, ministering to soldiers, that you're lifting people up, that you're doing services, that you're counseling, that you're, um, you're being a faithful minister. People need to know. And it's the same with missionaries. People need to know because it's, it's a, a boost for us, for our morale. It, it, it encourages us. It strengthens our faith. Proverbs 25, 13 says this, Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. This is what Tychicus and Onesimus were to do to the church at Colossae. They were to refresh their souls. They were to be that refreshing uh, cup of cold water or that refreshing cool air on a hot summer's day. They are to refresh the souls of the Colossians. They are to encourage them. They were to encourage them encourage them concerning the work through Paul, concerning the work in Ephesus, the work in Philippi, the work in all these other churches. And even the, the work in, in Laodicea. 
Because there is this other letter that's not in Scripture. You turn over to Colossians 4.16, we read this. Paul, in his final greetings, he says this, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. There's another letter from Laodicea. And these letters, as I said earlier, um, the, the New Testament church, the, the early church, they read each other's mail. <laughs> they read each other's mail. And they were encouraged. And they were commanded to read each other's mail. Uh, so that they would be encouraged. It was refreshing. But, you know, Paul also wants Tychicus and Onesimus to encourage the church concerning God's work in and through them. In and through them. Which he says in, in, in the start of his letter to the Colossians. He says this in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow beloved servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit and so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God Paul and his companions, they, they continue to pray for the church at Colossae. They're encouraged by them. And now they want to reciprocate that and want Tychicus and Onesimus to encourage them concerning what Paul is doing, all the activities of the wider church, and also that God is continuing to work in them, that God is doing a great work in them, that um, it's not just uh, Paul out there doing things. It's not just Tychicus and Onesimus, but the whole body is to work and to labor and the gospel bears fruit and they are bearing fruit even though they might not see it. And too often in church life, too often in our Christian life, we can just dwell on ourselves. And we can look at just our little progress in day-to-day -day Christian living. And we forget to see that God is working in and through us. And we see that when we're able to you know, objectively take a step back and look and see how he's working in other believers and other churches. And when other believers come alongside us and say, you know, you, I've seen you've really grown. You've really grown. And, uh, you know, even if, you know, we don't really see much work going on in our church, God is working in other churches. And when we receive those ministry reports, we get some sort of an objective view of God's work. And when then we're able to reflect upon ourselves and, this, and you know what? God is working. He's working in and through us. He's always working. He's always working in and through his people everywhere. Because that's, that's what he does. He, he, he calls us to himself and he calls us to himself to redeem us, to make us his own people and to sanctify us, to make us holy. But also that we would then work for the sake of others. You know, we, we all um, are familiar, for most of us, we're familiar with this verse in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And it's a verse that, you know, this was the verse that I got the uh, senior pastor used to um, bring me to faith. For some of you, that was a verse that was used to bring you to faith. That's a verse that you share in your evangelism. But I want you to see something. Ephesians 8, uh, 2, 8 and, and, and 9. We're actually 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are not saved by works. 
But we are, there is a sense that we are saved for work, to do the work of God. We are saved wholly of grace. It is totally by grace that you are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. And if you're not sure that you are saved or you're in the family of God, there's, there's several indicators. There's several indicators. Apostle John writes the whole book of 1 John, and it starts with whether or not you're truly believing in uh, Jesus Christ as the Bible reveals him to be very God of very God, 100% man, 100% God, the only way uh, through which we can be saved, only through his sacrifice, only through his perfect life. And, and then, do you confess your sins? Do you pray? Do you love the brothers? Do, is there spiritual fruit evident in your life? And, and do you serve? Do you serve? And I know that, you know, some of us, we have disabilities, we have health issues, we have work issues, we have relationship issues. There's seasons of life where we can serve more and we can serve less. We have different abilities where we can serve in different areas of the church and other areas we're not so gifted at. But do you serve? Do you have a desire to serve? And it starts by praying. Do you pray? Do you pray for the church? Do you pray for other people? These are indicators because we are saved for good works. We're saved to do something. So if you, if you are saved, are you working? Do you desire to work in the church? Do you desire to be, um, in a sense though, not, um, not completely like Tychicus and Onesimus, but to have the same attitude that they have? I'm a fellow slave of the Lord. Whatever you want, what, you know, I'll do whatever needs to be done in my own capabilities, according to my season of life, according to my time, my talents, my treasure. How can I help? This is what we are to do as the family of God because he's called us into the family. We are brothers and sisters, and we are to operate as a family working and serving one another and loving one another and praying for one another and proclaiming the gospel by which we have been saved. And as we come to celebrate the Lord's table, you know, we call it, the Bible calls it the Lord's Supper, but we also call it communion because in celebrating this supper, we are, in a sense, communing, coming together, um, showing that we are one body, and we are one body through the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that he's called us into one body through his sacrifice, and only through his sacrifice, only through faith in him can we be accepted and be part of his body. And as we come to celebrate uh, this supper, this act of um, God and calling us into one body, we are also commanded to examine ourselves. Commanded to examine ourselves so that we would not um, eat it in an unworthy manner. If we're walking in gross immorality or gross sin or unrepentant sin, clear unrepentant sin, we're not to eat of it. Now, we, we all know if we know our hearts, we know that we all sin in many ways. And even Paul says, I'm not even able to judge myself. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we striving to be holy? Do we confess our sins? And yes, we can't confess all our sins. But if you are a true believer, if you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, if you are striving to be holy, if you are praying, if you are um, uh, trusting in Christ alone, if you are confessing your sin, then this table is for you to come and partake, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf, that we could not be saved through our own merit, through our own works, but only by his shed blood, by his body. And he was given a body for us to be sacrifice for us. He was given blood to be spilt for us to cover our sins. And so we're going to take um, a few moments um, to reflect upon this as, um, uh, as uh, the, the men um, dismiss you and we um, 
and uh, Vicky plays for us. We will um, come and take of the elements, um, and then we will reflect upon um, this supper, Christ's sacrifice, and then we will partake together as the Bible commands us and as the Lord commands us. Celebrate the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this um, letter, for these words that we just uh, read and studied and looked at for the principles therein of being faithful servants, of being faithful members of your body. And Lord, as we come to celebrate um, the Lord's Supper, your Supper, what you have commanded us to celebrate, please prepare our hearts and minds to do it in a worthy manner, confessing our sins, but also looking to you in hope and faith that only you could cleanse us from all our sins. We thank you for this message and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.